Hello there, this is Howard, back with another episode of our podcast from the Susquehanna County Historical Society and Free Library Association entitled Off the Shelf. It's been a while since we released an episode. We've been busy looking at a new format which we're trying in this episode. It's going to be kicking off and hopefully it's something that you'll like and hopefully we'll get some feedback on it and we'll continue in future months. If you've listened to this podcast before, you've probably noticed that the top 10 authors almost never changed with our readers. We have a list of about 20 authors and the top 10 of them that we used to report out on each month normally had two or three that would drop below the top 10 and be replaced with one of the others. Of course, We all know the author that was number one for every episode, every month, for over two years. Do you know who that was? Or is? Yes, James Patterson, the most read author in our library system. As every knowledgeable library patron knows, at the library we have both fiction and non-fiction titles in our catalog. Under the old podcast format, we focused on the titles of the most checked out fiction books. But as I noted a moment ago, those author names almost never changed. So, we were thinking about a more useful format for this podcast, and I was having a discussion with Sue Stone our former library director who retired about two years ago, and she reminded me that we are much more than just the place to come find a book. We have wonderful programs for adults and especially for children. We have great speakers at events that share information with our patrons. We host the Red Cross Blood Drive now every few months. We have a very active partnership with Penn State University, especially the extension program, providing a location in our community room to be part of their many webinars. Sue made a great comment about our community partners, which we have many. She told me that if someone came to the library and stopped by the front desk and said, Hi, I'm new to this area. Where can I find a good cup of coffee and a pastry? Whoever's working that front desk should be able to make a suggestion or two of where they could go. And of course, welcome them to the community and say, wouldn't you like to sign up for a new library card? So anyway, in our new format, we're still going to be talking about the new books and authors that are coming out. But also remember that you can get that information from our website as part of our coming soon section. In fact, if you find something on that list that you like, remember, you can put a hold request on the title from the website so that once we actually get it in the collection, you're in line, in the queue, so to speak, to be able to check that book out. In addition to letting you know about local businesses, especially new ones, or smaller locations, we want to highlight some of our local programs and events that are going on in our community. Speaking of programs, 
If this is the first time you have listened to one of our three different podcast series, or if you've recently received a new library card, are you aware that we have a contest going on that you could win an Amazon show device or a gift card? Check out our website or ask at the front desk of any of our branches. We're going to be selecting that winner in early September. So with that background about the change in our format, let me welcome you to our new off-the-shelf podcast. We have three very important and timely segments for you to listen to today on upcoming events in our community. If you have any questions about these events, please contact us by email at info at suscolibrary.org or stop in or call any of our five locations in Montrose, Forest City, Halstead, Susquehanna, and of course the Historical Society. So let's talk about this episode. The first segment that you're going to hear about today is about the most important fundraiser that we have at the library each year. It's back. It's live. It's in person for 2022. It is the Blueberry Festival on Friday, the 5th of August, and Saturday, the 6th of August, rain or shine. Listen as I interview our association vice president, the chief blueberry guy this year, Steve Sparrow, about this wonderful event. That'll be our first segment. Then we're going to be talking to two Penn State University Extension staff members, Amber Hughes and Becky Smith, about a wonderful Penn State family support program called Strengthening Families Program for parents and youth ages 10 to 14. They're going to be talking about this seven-session family skill-building program that will run in several of our Susquehanna County communities that aim to prevent adolescent substance misuse, conflict resolution, dealing with peer pressures for the teens, and healthy stress management. We will also hear from a local family that recently completed this very successful program. Amber and Becky will close the segment by talking about how they are looking for paid facilitators for this training. You may be interested in either attending the training and becoming a facilitator with Penn State or by being part of the program as a family. It's a wonderful program and I was excited to be part of that interview and learn about what Penn State's doing in our community. The last segment for this event will be another very important annual event. It's the 164th annual Harford Fair running the 15th through the 20th of August. We're going to hear from Penn State Susquehanna County Master Gardener Anson Hedges as he gives us a very informative history of the fairs in general and more specifics about our local county fair. One of the things I learned in this segment was about how many years that fairs have really been around. Take a moment right now to think about that. 
write down your answer or try to remember it and see how close you are as you listen to Anson discuss the fair. Those are going to be the three segments that we're going to jump into now and they're all going to be using this new format and we would really enjoy getting some feedback on what you think of this new format. You can send us an email or let somebody at one of our front desks know what you thought. We already have a couple of segments ready to go for our next episode, which will be within the month. So be sure to subscribe and or follow this podcast so you will automatically get the episodes downloaded by whatever podcaster site that you're using. And if you happen to be a local and by local, I mean within Susquehanna County, a small business, a family-run business, or if you are a local publisher of a book, you've written a book, fiction or nonfiction, we love highlighting and want to highlight our local county authors. I've got a list of folks I'm going to be reaching out to, and we'd love to have you kind of tap with us to say, hey, I'd be interested in being interviewed, and we're going to have some of those available here in upcoming episodes. And finally, remember, if this is your first time listening to one of our three podcasts, go to the library website or to, again, the front desk and enter our new subscriber contest. You may win that Amazon show device or a gift card. So, without any further hesitation, let's move in to our first segment. Thanks for listening. Hi, this is Howard, and now we're going to talk about the 2022 Blueberry Festival. And with that, I have a special guest today, Steve Spiro, who's vice president of our Susquehanna Historical Society and Free Library Association, here to talk about the event. And we'll tell you the times and dates at the end again, but you can put it on your calendar right now. It's being held on Friday, August 5th, and Saturday, August 6th. So let's start off. Steve, to start out, can you give us an overview of what the Blueberry Festival event is? Howard, first, thanks so much for inviting me. Um, and I look forward to trying to explain this and uh, what we're doing this year for such an important event. The, the Blueberry Festival uh, on the surface is the Library and Historical Society's third um, uh, largest fundraiser uh, event. Um, we pull in a significant amount of money that helps us provide services throughout the county. And that's what the on the surface the uh, festival is about. This year we are also intending to reward the community for its decades of support. This is really a summer defining feature for the community. Many many people look forward to this thing and they and each one of them have supported the library and historical society over the years and we need to pay that support back. Okay, thank you, Steve. Um, here's a real straightforward, simple question. Where is the event actually held at? Because we're a big area when you say it's in Montrose. It's on the Village Green next to the county courthouse. Uh, come on down. It starts at uh, breakfast is 8 a.m. each day. 
Um, uh, other booths open at 9, and other booths open at 10, and the whole thing goes each day till 4 p.m. Okay. And who's actually involved with the event as far as who can I expect to see there as far as organizations? We know it's about the association, the library, historical society, but anybody else there? Uh, there are a few um, organizations that are lending time and money to, to help us, but mostly it is a um, historical society and library association event. Um, we, uh, it's volunteer driven. There are a few staff members in, involved and we couldn't do it without them, but I would bet we're going to have close to 200 volunteers helping us one way or another uh, put this event on. Okay, and you mentioned a little bit about this before, but What's the history of the event? For example, how long has it been around, and why did it get started? Uh, the event started in 1980, um, and mostly it was intended to start raising a small amount of money. It was intended to help uh, engage people, but over the years, it grew and grew and grew. We now have more than 27 booths that operate both days. Um, um, the booths are all operated by uh, volunteers. Um, some of the volunteers were volunteered by their employers, and we wouldn't have been able to do this without the uh, substantial corporate support we've gotten this year. Okay, and we know it's a big event. I've been to it. In fact, that's why I moved back to this community. My wife was not from this area and when I retired it was like the blueberry festival she turned to me and said this is where we're moving so how many people actually attend the event and are they locals or are they people from out of the area it's a free event um, and it's hard to tell specifically how many people but my guess it's gonna be around 2,000 maybe more to give you an idea of, of the size, just the lunch tent alone is ordering 780 bottles of water, um, 500 hamburgers, and uh, several hundred hot dogs. So, and we serve food at many, many booths. So, um, easily going to be 2,000 people. Easily. Oh, great. And again, I've been there before, as many of the listeners probably have been, and we know that it's not like you're knocking elbows with everybody. It is on the green. It's you know very kind of easy to get around and everything, too. Um, and you mentioned it earlier. Where is it, again, the proceeds from this event? Who benefits from this? The Susquehanna County Historical Society and Free Library Association is the uh, beneficiary of all this work. That organization, commonly referred to as the library, um, runs branches throughout the county, the historical society, the museum, which remains um, uh, right off the uh, village green, and, um, and we use the proceeds to uh, operate the, uh, the organization um, year-round. Okay, and in case you're listening here or as you're listening, if you're looking for things to do, 
on the two days of the event, the Historical Society is open. You can go in, you can look around, you can ask questions of the staff that's in there. So it's a great place to kind of add some time and it gets you out of the sun if it's real sunny on that particular day. So here's a question. If I'm attending the event for the first time, what can I expect to find as far as types of, you mentioned I think it was 20 some vendors or booths that would be there but what are your top three suggestions for things to try or to look for if I'm attending the event? The, um, off the top of my head, I would say the book sale is the most important um, thing. It'll give you a wide variety of all sorts of books. We have vintage books, we have new children's books, we have old children's books, um, and by that I mean by that, by that I mean the age of the books, not the age of the children. Um, we have uh, paperback books. Um, many of these books were don almost all of these books were donated by the community members, um, and it's a, a fun place to browse on that. Um, we have a, a, a commemorative sale booth where you can buy T-shirts and uh, pottery and, and all sorts of things that signify what the, uh, what's going on with the event. Uh, we have a white elephant sale and a white elephant jewelry sale uh, where you can find some um, treasures that you were um, looking for. And, uh, and food. There's blueberries. There's blueberry pies. There's blueberry buckle. There's, um, uh, and we'll even put blueberries on a pizza slice for you. If you like blueberries, it sounds like the place to be. So you mentioned that how many people would be there. Now, again, that is spread out over two days. We realize that. But what about parking? Is it available and is it free? This is another example of the community support. The Montrose Borough is suspending any enforcement of parking fines for the two days. There is um, they'll still enforce the rules, so don't park in a uh, no parking here in a corner, but uh, don't worry about putting quarters in the uh, meter if you can find an open spot near a, uh, uh, with that. But open spots, there are three parking lots very close to the place. There is a, a parking lot between uh, behind the um, old uh, Lee's Furniture Radio Shack building next to a, a dollar store that the borough owns and is open. Um, there is uh, free parking uh, behind the old county 911 center, and uh, there's a parking lot behind um, uh, Tannery Row, which is um, um, uh, off of uh, South Main Street. Um, so they're, they're all within easy walking distance. So there's plenty of free parking. Well, uh, one more thing Friday is a work day for county officials, so you will see a um, uh, a spot uh, reserved for county employees, please don't park there. Okay. Um, I know when I go to an event like this, the two things that I always think about as I'm planning uh, how my day is going to go is parking, and you've answered that, and the other one is, especially when there's food and beverages, what about the restrooms? Are there ample restrooms at the event? Um, yes. We, um, we supply uh, uh, several dozen porta potties. Okay, and at an event like this, there's lots of things to eat and drink, and you mentioned some of those. I love the blueberry pizza and the blueberry buckle ice cream, uh, but 
I know this question has been asked when I've worked a front desk here. Is there any blueberry wine or alcoholic beverages? No, it's a non-alcoholic event. Okay. But there are there are bars around the neighborhood, so. Okay. Uh, you mentioned all the volunteers. Do you need any more volunteers? I know it's a couple weeks before the event, or depending on when people are hearing this, or even if it's for next year. And if so, how do they get connected to the committee in the event in the future? Yes, we, we can always use more volunteers. Um, on some booths, we have people working four-hour shifts. Another volunteer might will allow them to work uh, two hours. Um, other booths really need the help to, to get the work done. For the purpose of this podcast, call the uh, Montrose Branch m- main number, um, 570-278-1881, and they'll take your name and number and the dates you're available, and some will be in touch with you and um, uh, get, uh, get you signed up. Okay, that's great. Yeah, so it's always great to meet some of the volunteers, too, and what they bring to the event uh, in working with them. Um, I know this question comes up here at at the library when people come to the front desk. In fact, somebody just asked me again the other day. uh, They're looking at attending for the first time, and the question was, can I bring my dog? We discourage dogs, but we don't have the ability to prevent dogs. If, if uh, you believe you have a, um, a, a well-behaved dog and you can keep the dog on a leash, no one will hassle you. But um, it's been our experience that um, it's more trouble for the entire crowd than, than, than it's worth it. So, we, so just like so many people are sacrificing so much time and money, if you're a dog owner, we're asking you to sacrifice a few hours without your beloved pet. Okay, that sounds fair. Uh, I want to thank Steve for spending some time with us today to discuss this event and getting answers to these questions so we can pass them along to our listeners. And just to sum it up, what are the dates and times of the Blueberry Festival again this year? Friday, August 5th, Saturday, August 6th. Breakfast starts at 8, but most booths open at 9 or 10. Thank you. And that's rain or shine, right? It is. We don't talk about rain, um, but it's it will be rain or shine. Okay. Well, that's great. And again, if you've got any questions, you can call any of our branches. But here in Montrose, uh, you know, we've got staff that are out there that have the answers to hopefully every question that you would ask. And if not, we'll get you an answer and get back to you. And we look forward to seeing a good turnout again this year. And thank you, Steve, again for coming in. You're welcome, Howard. I'm happy to do it. It's a great cause. Greetings from Penn State Extension. We hope that all of our listeners are taking the time to enjoy summer sunshine and the longer hours, whether it's through gardening or just being outdoors with your family and friends. As Howard had mentioned, my name is Amber Hughes and I work with Penn State Extension of Susquehanna County as a food, families, and health educator along with their family well-being team. So I'm here today with Becky Smith who is also the Food, Families, and Health Educator from Wyoming County to talk a little bit more about the health and wellness programs we have along with our PROSPER programs. Take it away, Becky. 
So a lot of people from Pence, uh, from Pennsylvania might already know about Penn State Extension. There's a lot of programs focused on agriculture, like the Master Gardeners Program. We have Pennsylvania's Natural Resources. And we also, of course, have that wonderful 4-H program. But you might not know about some of these other programs that are designed to help your family thrive. So we know that parenting is tough under normal circumstances. And especially over the last few years with the pandemic, a lot of people are going through homeschooling. We're spending a lot more time with our families, um, maybe not by choice, right? But it's fair to say that we all could use some new ideas on how to build stronger family bonds. What we've seen and what data has shown is that kids are trying drugs and alcohol at a younger age, and they also see that individuals who try substances between the ages of 11 to 17, they're more likely to require treatment. And something interesting that I read the other day was that the federal government drug control budget for 2021 was $35 billion. It's a growing epidemic across the country. Pennsylvania has cited the opioid overdose epidemic to be one of the worst public health crises in the state. In our area, specifically in our Endless Mountain area, Susquehanna County, Wyoming County, we realize that there's a lot of non-traditional caregivers who have taken on that parenting role. Might be grandparents or other relatives who have taken the parenting role for, uh, for those kids. So that situation, it can make it even more difficult to connect with your 10 to 14 year old. And we have seen that prevention is way more cost effective than treatment. So we want to talk more about PROSPER. PROSPER is, an, is a program going on in our area, and I'm going to let Amber tell you more about that. Yeah, very cool. Um, so PROSPER is a free evidence-based program specifically targeted for the 10 to 14-year-olds. But it's basically an umbrella for two of the programs that it entails. So there's the Life Skills Training Program and the Strengthening Families Program. So think of PROSPER again as a big umbrella. We'll talk a little bit about the Life Skills Training Curriculum. So that is a program that is a substance abuse prevention program that is implemented in schools in our area, again for those 10 to 14 year olds, that give them good left lessons on how to make healthy choices, how to resist peer pressure, how to communicate with their family members, um, and really just kind of ties in nicely with the health curriculum and the requirements that are required at most of the schools for that age group. Um, so we have some teachers in the school districts in our area that are implementing that through our school systems namely um, Forest City Regional School District, and I believe Tunkhannock might be looking to implement it here in the fall. And so that's the Life Skills Training Program. We have some really dedicated staff in the school systems that are really doing a great job at reaching out to that age group and teaching them those valuable life lessons. 
And those lessons from life skills training tie in and complement the Strengthening Families program for parents and youth ages 10 to 14. So we'll talk a little bit more about that program in that it's a community-based program. So it's an evidence-based program that was developed by Iowa State University. It's actually been in our area, well in Pennsylvania I should say, for the past 20 years or so. Um, we've had some phenomenal numbers on that. It's being implemented, implemented in 28 school districts um, across 20 counties across the state. And to date, you know, COVID took a toll on our numbers, just like it did everything else, but it's impacted 2,300 families throughout the 20 years that have been part of Pennsylvania. So the data from these 20 years since it's been in Pennsylvania show that for every 100 youth that are in communities that are implementing PROSPER programming, there have been seven less youth who are misusing opioids or trying drugs and alcohol. So the evidence shows that it's working. It's a great program. Okay, so we'll talk a little bit more in detail about that Strengthening Families program for children ages 10 to 14. So for seven weeks, typically in the fall and spring, families come in and we offer them a half hour meal, totally free, usually through the school districts. Families can sit down, talk about their day before the program officially starts, just get that chance to catch up with one another. We really stress the importance of this family meal as a time to just reconnect with each other after being separate and apart from each other most of the day. And then after that half hour meal, we split up the parents into their parent session and then the youth into their session. So these sessions run simultaneously for an hour so youth are with their two facilitators who are trained, learning about those same lessons we talked about earlier. So how to resist um, peer pressure, how to make good choices and find good friends that have good qualities that are gonna benefit them. And again, just how to communicate with their families. You know, why house rules are set, understanding the reasoning behind, behind that. And so while kids and youth are learning about those lessons with their facilitators and ton of games, ton of activities, so it's not just lecturing with them or at them for the full hour. Parents are with their facilitator and they're learning lessons that really complement the lessons that their youth are learning. So how to set appropriate house rules for their age that they have at home, how to, how to create appropriate consequences if those rules are broken, and again, how to just communicate with each other, how to have fun together as a family. And so after the hour part, the families come back together for their family session, which runs anywhere from about 45 minutes to an hour. Lots of games, lots of activities. Um, it's always fun to be in and on these family sessions because you just see families having fun together. You know, you see them playing card games, just go fish. Uno, um, creating family shields, talking about family morals, creating family trees, and just emphasizing what's good about their family and what they enjoy doing together as a family. And the really cool part is that even though at its core, Strengthening Families program is a substance abuse prevention program, we don't really see that lecture. We don't really see, you know, say no to drugs and alcohol, you just see families connecting together and building stronger bonds. 
that are gonna help kids make the right choices as they move on later on. And I'm just remembering, Amber, that um, when I was in fifth grade, we had the D.A.R.E. program in my school, and I remember us all gathering together in the gym. They had a police officer on stage, and then we had to sign some type of agreement. It just wasn't what we needed at the time, and like as I've learned about this program, I thought about how my family could have used that growing up, and so that traditional D.A.R.E. program you know, it doesn't work. Uh, this works. This is evidence-based. This has shown to work. And I just wanted to put that tidbit in there because I know y'all are familiar with that D.A.R.E. program. <laughs> yeah, the good old D.A.R.E. program. We had that program, too. And I remember the same thing Becky just said. It was a police officer with a dog, which I think was meant to be a friendly dog. But still, <laughs> kind of intimidating for kids when you're in fifth and sixth grade. And pretty much made you pledge that you would never try drugs and alcohol. Um, yeah. And again, like Becky said, this definitely focuses, it brings more of the family in so everyone knows what kind of lessons you're learning. Yeah, you actually grow skills uh, instead of just being kind of lectured at and told no, which we know doesn't really work with kids at that age. They need to have buy-in to it. They need to understand why we do certain things or why we should pick good friends instead of just being told that's just because I said so, right? So <laughs> this is a really great program that I'm looking forward to signing my son up when he's in that age range as well. So is there anything else that um, we should talk about with that program? Yeah, so that's kind of the weekly format. And like we said, it runs for seven weeks at a time in the fall and spring. Um, the school districts that it's available in right now will be for City Regional School District, Montrose Area School Districts, a new school district that we're getting up and running this fall, and then Becky will be handling over at Tunkhannock School District as well. Yep, so Amber and I are looking for facilitators. So we're looking for individuals with any experience working with youth or families or that simply have a passion for family growth who are comfortable with speaking in front of a group of people if you want to be involved with this program we invite you to apply to be a facilitator you can actively get involved with this program and be the one to lead the sessions with the youth with the parents um, it is so rewarding to see them at the end of the, the day just um, leave those those rooms smiling um, so we are actively hiring right now. We have a couple job postings available on Penn State's um, hiring website, I guess you could call it. But we do have a training coming up here in August. It's down at Penn State Scranton campus down in Dunmore. It's on August 8th, 9th, and 10th. We are going to feed you that day, but it'll be a full three-day training that all facilitators need to go through before being hired to actually lead the sessions. Um, we're getting close to capacity for that, so we have a few spots left of anybody who's interested in getting involved. And again, you can find those job postings on either Penn State's hiring website, and I know we are... Um, still advertising that on our county Facebook pages, Penn State Extension Susquehanna County, Penn State Extension Wyoming County should be able to find those. 
the pay. That's important, right? Susquehanna County is paying their facilitators $22 an hour. Wyoming County is paying their facilitators down in Tunkhannock about $25 an hour. It is about three to four hours each week for that seven weeks once in the fall, once in the spring, and there could be opportunity for you to gain more hours depending on if we get this program to grow. Yeah, so another thing is that if you are unable to attend the training that's coming up in August that Becky mentioned, there is another one coming up in September, a little further away in Hazleton. Um, The beauty is that we will reimburse mileage for people who attend that training and the one in Scranton. And like Becky said, we make sure we feed you pretty well at these trainings. Um, They're really fun, really interactive, really engaging, and a really good look at what the program is all about. Um, I think another thing that we should probably cover too is that for facilitators, you must be trained, like Becky had said, to facilitate these sessions, but we'll also be looking for childcare providers too. So another beautiful part of the Strengthening Families program is that while we're working with those kids ages 10 to 14, we do offer childcare for families for kids usually about the age of three to nine. So we do need at least two childcare providers for each program so we are able to offer that childcare service. And that way you can, you know, don't worry about those younger siblings. We'll watch them for a couple hours and it really allows you to pay uh, to spend that one-on-one time with your youth and and maybe you don't get that time so it's a really special uh, a really special situation that's going on here yeah so again the pay range is a little different Um, child care over in Susquehanna County will pay about $15 an hour for about three hours per week and over in Wyoming County they've got a little bit more money than we do in Susquehanna so they're paying (laughs) upwards around $25 per week so um, variety of locations for you depending on where you're located so now that you've heard about the strengthening families program from us educators us experts that are familiar with the program we wanted to let you hear the words from a recent Susquehanna County family who graduated from the program this family is from the Montrose Area School District And they actually were part of our virtual programming that took place this past spring as part of our Northeast Regional Virtual Program. So we had a few questions that we wanted to ask them, just get their perspectives on it. So hopefully you'll have a chance to listen in and take something back from their responses. So starting off with question one, um, as recent graduates, can you look back and tell us what initially motivated you to register your family for the Strengthening Families program in your area? The reason that I registered the family for the program is we were really struggling communicating um, with our 12-year-old at the time, and she's now 13, and um, so we were really struggling communicating, and we had some issues that we wanted help to work through. So when we heard about the program, I signed us up, and I'm very, very happy that I did. Wow, that's great. Thanks for sharing that. What aspects was your favorite part of the program? Um, for the um, kids part of the program, I always loved doing the little activities that we did um, and the poster boards 
and the family sessions when we did the shield, if you guys do that, that was really fun for me because we did like challenging ones and then we did fun activities. Yeah, that's a good point. There's lots of really great things about the program, so I'm glad you were able to pull out a couple of your favorite parts and favorite activities. So moving on, what was the most valuable component that you all think that you learned from the Strengthening Families program? And I think the real kicker that everyone wants to know is if you're actually still implementing that component or that lesson today, a couple months after graduating. The most valuable component that I learned from was the fact of how we're treating our daughter and how we were communicating was the most valuable part that I got from from this program. Are you still using it today? Yes. Okay. We still have um, some of our things posted on the refrigerator. We still have um, a lot of the things that we learned and the handouts that we were given on the refrigerator scattered throughout the house. So, um, you know, we look at it and helps us get through and, and figure things out. Um, we've definitely learned to be less reactive and talk as a family more, which has been awesome. Oh, I'm so glad to hear. What was your overall impression of the Strengthening Families program? Do you believe that it's helpful for all families? I, I think parents need to register. It really helped bring us together. It really helped us communicate. Um, it helped us work through the issues that we were having. It helped us communicate as a family and communicate with our preteen. Um, Lita learned about bullying, if you want to talk about that. Um, so we did a lot of sessions on about bullying and the five or six steps of how you react to it and handle it. Um, they also did fun activities with that and we talked about peer pressure, about vaping, going over and having a party and drinking and stealing somebody's car or taking something without permission and there were ways that we could handle peer pressure with that stuff. Yeah, you bring up a good point in that it's it really is a program that's meant for all families so it's good to hear that you agree that all families, all parents and caregivers and their youth can benefit from the program. And lastly, to kind of wrap up our questions here, what would you say to those parents and those caregivers who might be on the fence and unsure about whether or not this program is right for them and not sure if they want to register for it? It was an awesome program. We all, nobody in the family was really particularly happy about me signing them up. At but, first. At first, but at the end, we were all very grateful and we really looked forward to our, our nights of, of doing the Strengthening Family Program. So it was really great for us. So thank you. Hope this was helpful. It was an awesome program. 
we really appreciate you guys sharing all of that um, after your recent experience with the program. We really invite anybody to look into your local school districts um, and see how you can get your family involved. And hopefully you'll have some similar scenarios and examples that our family shared today. Eight score and four years ago, our forefathers brought forth on the grounds of the Congregational Church in Hartford a new fair. Now, you folks that need a calculator like me, that would make the year 1858. Now, fairs were no means new. There is an evidence of fairs going back for over 2,000 years. And back then, fairs were commercial in nature, a place for buying and selling goods. Merchants and folks would come from far and wide to sell their goods and to trade with the locals and each other. So essentially, these early fairs were markets. Many of these fairs were held on religious holidays when folks had time off from their day-to-day -day labors. So fairs were also a time of gathering and celebrating with your community. This tradition of fairs continued through the millennia and grew to include food, entertainment, and exchange of knowledge or gossip. The first fair in the soon-to-be United States was in 1765, or 12 score and 17 years ago, in the historic town of York, Pennsylvania. And the York State Fair continues to this day. Again, back then it was an agricultural market, and it was only for two days long. Folks had to get home, get back to work. You know, milk the cows, feed the chickens, make sure the gunpowder was dry. The concept of the county fair, organized by an agricultural society, however, was initiated by Elkanah Watson, a New England patriot and farmer. He earned the title Father of the U.S. Agricultural Fairs by organizing the Berkshire Agricultural Society and creating an event, then known as a cattle show, in Pittsfield, Massachusetts in September. 10 score and 11 years ago, also referred to as the year 1811. It was not a market and was more than just an exhibition of animals. It was a competition with prize money, $70 paid for the best F exhibits of oxen, cattle, swine, and sheep. Which brings us a few years later to November 4, 1858. You already know the score for that year. The date was the first Hartford Fair on the grounds of the Congregational Church, which, by the way, is still standing in Hartford. As many of us have experienced in the Hartford Fair through the years, the tradition of the fair having a terrible day for weather was also started on that day. The weather was bad enough that the fair was canceled, and the fair tried again five days later on November 9, 1858. The Hartford Fair continued on as a one-day event until 1865. Oh, wait, 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 I forgot to do this one. Oh, let me grab my phone calculator and stall for time while I do this. And it equals, all right, 1865 would be seven score and 17 years. you got to remember, the core elements of these agricultural society events in the early 1800s, those early fairs, are at the heart of the agricultural fair of the North America today. 
competition for the best agricultural and domestic products of the county and or community or region or state. An annual celebration for the community to come together to share and to learn and win prizes and eat deep fried Oreos. The Hartford Fair continues this tradition with competition entries that include horse, dairy, beef, sheep, swine, goats, poultry, waterfowl, pigeons and eggs, rabbits, schoolhouse department, hay and grain, vegetables, fruit and nuts, home produced baked goods, Christmas tree exhibits, Susquehanna County 4-H, floral exhibits, needlecraft, artwork and photography, woodworking and handicrafts, group exhibits, wine and beer, apiary and maple products, and I'm starting to feel like Johnny Cash warming up for I've Been Everywhere. There are also contests. Animal costume contest, baby show, demolition derby, kitty tractor pull, livestock skillathon, truck pulls, tractor pulls, turkey calling contests, queen contest, woodsman's contest, horse pulling contest, and in the age-old tradition affairs there are vendors. Lots and lots of vendors including us, the Penn State Extension Master Gardeners of Susquehanna County. And along with all these there are rides that we've come to associate with modern day fairs and lost pocket change and very upset stomachs. Okay, I told you that story to tell you this one. As I just said, among the vendors and organizations exhibiting at the Harford Fair is the Penn State Extension Master Gardeners of Susquehanna County. The Master Gardeners have always had a presence at the Harford Fair, beginning with just information tables, fact sheets, stuff like that, in the 4-H building and pollinator garden display in front of the 4-H building. We then added a few more educational gardens around the 4-H building. We incorporated a tent for the Master Gardeners around 2010 and hosted outside programs that jived with our outdoor displays. Around 2015, the Master Gardeners bought the current permanent Master Gardener building. For those of you who are anxiously awaiting, none of those dates are a full score, so the running joke seems to have run its course. We were able to buy the building from generous proceeds that had accumulated from a large tree and plant sale years earlier, donated by Williams. What all this means is the Master Gardeners have been at the Hartford Fair for over a score of years. And the joke is back. Let me sidebar for a minute to tell you another story, a brief history of the Master Gardener program. The first Master Gardener program was found back in 1973, which is two score and nine years ago, for those that are keeping score, by Dr. David Gibby of Washington State University Cooperative Extension in the greater Tacoma area to meet a high demand for urban horticulture and gardening advice. The Master Gardener program was so successful in the state of Washington that it was adopted by many other states within a few years. Today, the program is active in 50 states, Korea, and three Canadian provinces. In 1982, okay, that's four score years ago, we finally got that one, Penn State Extension adopted the Master Gardener program. Currently, there are more than 3,500 Master Gardeners volunteering in all of the 67 Pennsylvania counties. And now we break for a word from our sponsor. If you want to become a Master Gardener, there is a minimum of 40 hours core training in botany, plant propagation, soil health, 
plant pathology, entomology, integrated pest management, lawn care, vegetable gardening, wood and herbaceous plants, native plants, weeds and herbaceous species, pruning, and the ever-popular communication skills. There's also training available for indoor plants, garden wildlife, tree fruit and small fruit culture, landscape design, and gardening equipment. Master Gardener volunteers support Penn State Extension's educational program in consumer horticulture. They develop their horticultural expertise through participation in educational training classes conducted by Penn State University faculty and Extension staff, learning research-based and sustainable horticultural practices. You do not need to consult with your doctor prior to starting this program. And now, back to our podcast. After completing their training, Master Gardeners help the Extension better serve the home gardening public by answering questions, speaking to groups, writing gardening articles, working with youth, gardening in the demonstration gardens, participating in the Penn State Pollinator Research Program, and in many other ways, including brilliant, if I may say so myself, podcasts like this one. The Master Gardeners of Susquehanna County have been advising fairgoers utilizing unbiased research-based information to educate the public and our communities on best practices in sustainable horticulture and environmental stewardship at the Master Gardener building across from the 4-H building on the fairgrounds. Every year we answer gardening questions brought to us by the fair visitors about vegetables, flowering plants, soil testing, fruit trees, plant diseases, lots of plant identification, and much more. We also serve as judges of the 4-H gardens that are at various locations on the fairgrounds. In, in addition to all this, we have presentations and information concerning gardening problems and solutions that pertain to Susquehanna County. In the past, we have made folks aware of deer-resistant plants, growing garlic, raised garden beds, herb gardens, and much, much more. This year we'll be putting our emphasis on seed sowing or how to save seeds from year to year and even develop a new variety of vegetables or flowers. And we'll be making folks aware of invasive plants and creepy varmints, which include spotted lanternfly, Asian jumping worms, groundhogs, wascally wabbits, and any other critters that have just recently pissed us off. In addition to these displays, we also have trivia games. Chances to obtain one of the plants for replacement of invasive plants we'll have on display. Information pages concerning many questions we receive from our visitors and gifts and prizes. All of this in addition to our display gardens and our sparkling conversations. This year, the Harford Fair is happening August 15th to the 20th. The Penn State Extension Master Gardeners of Susquehanna County will be there again, waiting excitedly for your gardening questions. So come on down. It's your time to play Stump the Master Gardener. Or just give us a wave and a hello as you pass by. <laughs> 